Thank you for coming. It's great to see you. It's just fun to just look around and see you for a minute. This last couple years have been a little dicey and weird, so it's nice to see a bunch of you finally here all together at one time. Right on? Uh, we've been in a series on Nehemiah. Just let me give you a quick uh, look back on the first four chapters. We'll get into chapter five today. So chapter one, Nehemiah gets really bad news about the state of Jerusalem, state meaning the condition of Jerusalem. And what does he do immediately? He goes to prayer. He goes to fasting. His heart is broken. He weeps for the city. He brings the need before the Lord. And then the next thing he does is he prays for favor with the king and God grants it and he gets all kinds of supplies and it's pretty incredible to see God's provision. That's chapter 2. Then chapter 3, he goes and begins to build the city, and just about everybody got involved. A couple people stepped back to watch it, but most of the people got involved and started building the city, which had been broken down for 100 years at least. Wow. A few people had tried to rebuild it and had failed. Finally, it was happening. So then chapter 4, of course, what happens? Opposition. All the junk the enemy throws at us and threw at them. And then they persevered and made it through. And we learned two things last week. When you face opposition, you pray and you take action. What's number one? What's number two? Okay, hopefully if you remember nothing from from the series at all, remember pray and take action when things get weird in your life. Okay, right on? So we're going to get into chapter 5. And chapter 5 has a couple of, wow, it has a couple of big themes in it. And uh, one of them is unity and uh, division in the body. Uh, Another one is social action. Another one is how we use finances. Another one is justifying our own sins. Sounds sounds easy, right? No no sweat. But these are some of the big themes that that come in in Nehemiah 5. And God gives him the strength and and the capacity to lead people through really difficult stuff that they probably did not want to face in their own lives. So we're going to go there today, and I believe that God is going to speak to each of you something from this passage. I was telling the group as we were praying out out front, it's kind of like there are four fastballs that God's going to throw at us through this this passage, and one of them is bound to hit, uh, hit one of us. Uh, hit one of one is bound to hit each of us uh, in the room today. So, so get ready and just be humble and say, Lord, speak and make me, make, make me uh, courageous and willing and humble, and, and may I listen to you. Amen? So Nehemiah 5, you can start in verse 1 along with me. I'm going to read a bit of the passage, and I want to ask you to picture what's happening and picture what it would have been like to be one of these crowds, because there are a few different people that speak and say, here's a problem that we have. So it says, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. Let us get grain so that we can eat and keep alive. Verse 3, there were also those who said, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. Verse 4, there were also those who said, we borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. 
Our flesh is the same as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are just like their children, uh, yet we're forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, and it's not in our power to help it. For the other men own our fields and our vineyards. So this is Nehemiah speaking. I was very angry when I heard the outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. Heavy stuff going on. Now, why is this a big problem? He says, you're charging interest. The people are upset because they're paying interest, because they're going broke, just trying to stay even, right? This is a big deal because they were following the culture around them rather than God's word. That's a theme for us. I hope that we are paying attention to that one for us right now. Leviticus 25 says, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger or a sojourner, and he can live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. So basically, there was a command in the book of Leviticus, don't charge other Jews interest. Now the people made excuses and said, yeah, but we're in a different season. Yeah, but I really have to. Yeah, but I could, and it'll help my family in the future. They were listening to culture, not God's word. So Nehemiah said, this has to stop. Verse 8, I said to them, we, as far as we're able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who've been sold to the nations. So this was a time when Jewish people were servants and slaves in many other countries, and they're trying to relocate into the land. So some of the righteous people are trying to buy people back who'd been sold into slavery. So then he says, but you even sell your brothers so they may be sold back. Like, how does that make any sense? We're trying to get everybody back, and, and you're making it so hard that they have to sell their own kids. So verse 9, uh, oh, oh, verse 8. They were silent and could not find a word to say. I like that line. The Holy Spirit was working on them. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. So evidently, Nehemiah and his brothers were giving money to Jewish people who were giving it to other Jewish people to pay interest. So Nehemiah's like, really? Like, stop it. Okay, verse 11. It says right there between the verses, it says, stop it. Okay. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you've been exacting from them. And, and the word there for percentage um, it literally means 1% monthly. So it was a 12% deal, which, you know, if you do the math, that's not good for anybody. Uh, verse 12, then they said, we will restore these things and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. So the Holy Spirit wins the day. Nehemiah wins their hearts. They say, you're right. 
we have been doing this wrong. Does it remind you of that story of Zacchaeus in the Bible where he's up in the tree waiting for Jesus to come and he's the chief tax collector, the big bad guy who has you know, stolen from everybody in town and is hated. And then Jesus says, I'm going to go to lunch at your house. And then he says, you know, basically, I'm, I'm giving it all back. And he says, I'll give back four times whatever I have cheated anybody and I'll, and I'll give all this stuff to the poor and I'll make it right. And then Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Not because he had Jesus over for lunch, but because he made things right, right? And the salvation that came in him made him want to act differently towards everybody and, and make amends for all the screw-ups he had done in the past. So the rest of verse 12, and I called the priests and they made them swear to do as they had promised. The priests were part of it. Verse 13, I also shook out the fold of my garment. I was going to wear flowing robes today so I could, you know, do this for you, but anyway, maybe next time. And he said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his job who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. Wow. And all the assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. They didn't say, ooh, this is too hard, I don't know about it. They knew that God was bringing conviction out of love and he was perfecting his, his nation and his people and they knew that this was the right thing and the people did as they had promised. Amen. I love that. So notice a couple things. Nehemiah was not afraid of the people. He was afraid of the Lord. He knew that the Lord had required things of his people that they were not doing. And evidently when he lowered the boom on them and said, you're doing it wrong, they said, you're right. And I think part of that was they saw his character and his willingness to risk for them. And I think he expressed the truth in love. Sometimes we express the truth, but not in love. And so he, he said, there is a better way. And they, they understood it. Notice this, the wall building didn't create the problem, but it showed the problem that was there. So sometimes we go through seasons, like this last two years, where what's underneath the surface comes up. So I don't think that this COVID and this pandemic has created as many issues as it has um, forced them to the surface in our lives. People who are really anxious right now, they were anxious two years ago. It just got cranked up. People who are struggling with depression, that got cranked up. People who have conflicts with each other, they were already under there. Now it's like, woo, right? So that stuff is coming up. And now, just like them, we have to figure out a way to work together and rebuild together, not apart. Apart is not an option. So for, that's, that's one of the big themes that we'll get into now. Unity, togetherness, forgiveness, uh, conflict resolution is the way forward, not division. And it could have headed in that direction where the nobles were like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I need the money. I'm, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And then the wall building would have stopped without a single arrow being fired by the enemies. Just because the people of God decided not to work together. And they decided, I'm more important than you. And what I need is more important than what you need. And then everything just comes to a screeching halt. And I think that happens in a lot of churches. It happens in a lot of families where we are not seeing each other as brother and sister. 
We're not treating each other as family. I'm looking down on you. You're looking down on me. Everything comes to a screeching halt in building Christ's kingdom. And that's why this whole book of Nehemiah is important for us, especially right now with what's going on in our culture. Because if we fight each other, then we're no longer building his kingdom. And we're, we're no longer fighting the real enemy. If I'm focused on Len, I'm not focused on fighting the devil. And, and sometimes I might see the other person as the devil. I might, we're picking the wrong enemy to fight. It's a little crazy. So I want to tell you something really cool that's happening right now. I was, I was at uh, Calvary Westlake this last week filming with a group of pastors. And uh, there are 20 churches locally so far that are going to be partnering together for Easter. And the effort is going to be called Easter in Caneo Valley. And the whole idea is this, that coming out of this season of division and confusion and junk, that we are able to be united in following Jesus and saying, he is the reason for Easter. He's the reason for hope at all. And, and so the idea is to have an inescapable Easter presence in the Caneo Valley where a whole bunch of churches are going to have a banner on, on their property. It looks like this. You, if you want one, can have a yard sign to put in your yard that has the website of where people can go to find Jesus and a church near them. Whether it's ours or not, it doesn't matter. They need to find Jesus, Amen. and they need to find hope. And so it'll be all over social media. Um, th- there will be an acorn ad that instead of like 20 competing you know, things where like we have you know, a balloon show and we have <laughs> dancing you know, animals, and it, it's going to be more like all, all of us are together in following Jesus. Come with us. I feel like our our community so needs that message of healing and hope. And so you'll hear a lot more about that. But I've just been humbled and excited to see all these pastors just jumping in and being like, yes, let's do that together. And and pray for God speak, because that's been an interesting one too, because we've been having conversations with them about do they want to participate, do they not, and why. And so just pray that God would work in in that, okay? Right on. That's our new way of saying amen, right, Len? So how do you see people? How do you see brothers and sisters uh, in Christ? And uh, do you see them the same way that God does? Or do you have a tendency to play favorites? Now, I know that most of our minds go to, oh, no, I'm not like that. I think we all play favorites to an extent. And, and I feel like the Lord wants to work in me and in all of us to say, why is that? And can you see brothers and sisters as brothers and sisters or not? So here's a way of getting after that. Do you feel better than some other type of person? Do you feel like, well, at least I'm not fill in the blank? That's a good indicator of what's going on in here. And, and these folks in 444 BC, they fell into a couple traps. Favoritism, pride, greed. Now, what's interesting is these are acceptable sins in the American church right now, I believe. These are the ones that we don't write a lot about. We don't call people out a lot. We don't, I don't call people into my office and say, hey, you're greedy, dude. <laughs> it's time for this to change, right? 
or you play favorites and I'm going to kick you out of the church. Now, why shouldn't, I mean, that should be part of our job is to look for these things in each other and go, you know, that's not right. But sometimes we have our favorite sins or our least favorite sins that we call out and we're like, you better go talk to so-and-so because they did this. But these three seem to be, ah, no big deal. They're a big deal to the Lord. They were a big deal in 444 BC. And, And they're still a big problem in our human nature when we start to see others as less than and ourselves as more than. And uh, there were the haves and the have-nots, which still happens in our culture, right? The secret is, if you have, how do you view those who have not? And if you have not, how do you view those who have it all? Because the judgment goes both ways. And, and often it keeps us from acting like brothers and sisters in Christ. Acts 4, let's, let's get a little more practical. Acts 4, the believers sold extra stuff that they had to help each other who was in need. And they laid all this stuff at the apostles' feet, and the apostles gave it out to everyone as they had need. And interestingly, it says, and no one had any needs. What would it look like for no one, nobody in a church to have needs? Yes, please. I I love this idea, right? But there's a cost. The people who had gave to the have-nots, right? And that, that seems very one-sided, right? But it's, that's how they did it. Now look at 2 Thessalonians 3. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Okay, so now we have two pieces of this, right? And I love this painting. This is, a, this is the widow giving her might, and all the religious types are like, you know, she's worthless. And Jesus says, no, she's the one, because she gets it. She risked everything. So how do we find the balance of seeing each other as family and yet not enabling somebody? That's a hard one. Um, and and so, so a couple of notes from Nehemiah chapter 5. First thing, the famine, was that their fault? Okay, paying the king's tax, was that their fault? Uh, trying to feed their families, uh, good, good goal, bad goal. Right? So, so there are certain situations that occur on planet Earth that are way beyond your control, and you're like, um, I'm stuck, right? I'm, I'm in trouble. Um, some things were out of their control, so that made the response of the believers much more clear, right? So our brothers are starving. We should help them. Uh, and interestingly, these were people that were all working on the wall. So some of them were complaining and saying, like, um, I'm trying to pay the bills, but I can't. And my brother, who's working next to me, has all my money. Like, um, what do I do, Nehemiah? So these are not people that are not doing anything. They're doing something, but it's not working. And so they were partnering together to figure out a way that they could level the playing field. Now, it didn't become socialism. They just kept God's word. And God's word was, don't charge them interest and take care of them when they're in need. So they found a way forward, right? Because Nehemiah's goal was to, fi- to follow God's word and to, um, to reconcile the body, the, the, the family of God. His goal was not to create social programs. He didn't say, you know, hey, today, let's create a new... That's not it. Let's follow God's word and do what it says was his goal. Now, that doesn't mean a social program isn't needed, in our, in our society, 
It just means that's not what this passage is talking about. Okay, so um, our goal has to be the same as following God's word and reconciling people and taking care of needs. And part of that is how we use cash. Part of it is what do we do with the resources that we have been entrusted with? And I like that word better than the money that we've been given, the money that we have been entrusted with. So let me get practical, and we could spend a whole morning on this, but here's the thing. If you're not sure if you should help someone out financially, because that happens. If you have some, then opportunities come knocking, right? So should you help this person? Should you not help this person? Here's a good starting place. Pray that you will see them through the eyes of God. How does the Lord see this person and their situation? Second, pray that you will see them as a brother or sister. Then pray for wisdom. But before you go, am I going to help them? Does this, does this make sense? If I give them 20 bucks, are they going to spend it on dope? Is it, what am I going to do? Rewind back and go, okay, Lord, how do you see this person? Help me see them through your eyes. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see beauty in every human being. And you're going to see the heart of God poured out towards them, which may or may not mean that you help them with something. And then you're going to say, Lord, help me to see them as brother or sister rather than that or this. Or like John preached a couple weeks ago about the woman caught in adultery. And, and the, uh, basically the religious leaders said, hey, Jesus, what are you going to do about that? That kind of person. Totally dehumanizing her. And so we have to humanize. We have to get back to like, Lord, help me to see them the way you do. Help me to see them as my brother, as my sister. And then say, now what do I do about that? Which sometimes is helping and sometimes is not. Sometimes, sometimes we're just enabling a problem to keep going on. And sometimes we're actually helping the person step up and forward. Amen? Okay. Now I know you wish that I would give you more than that, but that's all you're going to get on that. You're going to have to figure it out on your own. With the Lord's help. The second thing from the passage that, that sticks out is this. We have to stay true to God's word and not to our culture. I thought you'd say amen right there, Len. Amen. So charging interest seemed to make good business sense. They were in a totally like chaotic period of time. So they were like, man, while I can, I got to put money aside for the future because the future is uncertain, right? So you might say, hey, future's uncertain, I got to look out for home base. If you were living in this day and age with your city broken down, it's a little more like living in one of the attacked cities of Ukraine right now. So they had much more going on than you do with security and need and, hey, I better, I better play it cautious because they didn't know what the next day would bring. They could be attacked by enemies and completely routed. They could run for their lives and never be able to return. That's their situation. And Nehemiah said, I know, still do it God's way. Still don't charge interest. Still follow what the Lord says. Still see them as your brother and your sister. So the problem was they were following the ways of the people around them with finances. And God said, "Uh uh-uh. So let me ask you this question. Do your finances look just like your next door neighbor's? And you may not know, but I think it's a great question for me to ask myself. So if I were to look at the B of A statement of my next door neighbor, what would that look like? And would mine look the same? 
I put this much in retirement, put this much in vacation, I pay my bills, oh, my electric is way too high, right? But are there things in my giving that that person doesn't have, where I'm, I'm prioritizing God's work? I'm giving to causes that meet people's needs. I'm helping James Storehouse or Action with something that's current, and, and I'm helping somebody get off the street. Now, that, that's what we're talking about. Now, um, he, here's even, even the most important part of how all of this, all this matters to Nehemiah and should matter to us. If, if we uh, do things the way the culture does them, people won't see Jesus in us. So Nehemiah was really concerned with God's reputation. So he was saying, yes, you've got to care for your brothers and sisters. Yes, you've got to obey God's word. But here's why. It's not just for your benefit. Yes, it benefits you. But big picture, the whole culture needs to see the people of God behaving like he does. And if they don't, then we've lost this massive opportunity. And, and he was saying for the Israelites to not represent the Lord well, all these communities around them look down on the God of the Bible. And, and in our lives, that, that's the same thing for us. We've got to say, wait, how am I doing representing the Lord with my finances, with my decisions, with how I treat others? Am I, am I uh, worried about his reputation more than my own? Okay. So let's look at number three. How do we respond to our own sin? There's a heavy one, right? So the nobles said to Nehemiah, you're right, we did it wrong. Um, how many of you remember Happy Days? Raise your hand. Do you remember Fonzie, Marcarelli, Arthur? Fonzarelli. There we go. Marcarelli's another guy. So Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz, what could he never say? I was wrong. There's, a, there's, one, there's one great episode where he just tries really hard and finally sort of gets it out. I think that sometimes as Christians, we have trouble saying, you're right, I, I was wrong. And, and how do we stop that spiritual compromise that just creeps up in our lives and the enemy wants to knock us out when we say yes to little things that we don't think are a big deal, and over time they become big deals of sin in our lives, big pockets, big habits, big... Uh, big areas where we, we, have a, we turn a blind eye to what's really happening. So I'm going to keep this really basic. Has the Lord told you to do something? Are you doing it? Now, maybe the Lord brings something to your mind. You're like, oh, yeah, right? How about this? Has the Lord told you not to do something? Are you doing that? <laughs> Some of you are smiling right now, Right? Allow the Lord to speak to you right now about that and say, oh, wow, yeah, you're right. Why do we tolerate sin in our lives? It affects us, it affects our loved ones, and it affects his reputation over time. We, we stop building the wall. We stop building his kingdom because we get tied up. It's literally, the, the word says that the sin that so easily entangles us keeps us from running the race. So uh, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 has hope. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There is sin in all of us. I've been around some Christians that believe that they no longer sin. 
and then they sin and they don't know what to do with that. Because it's part of being human, right? It's part of living in flesh. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He gives us a new start. So Nehemiah did not excommunicate the nobles and say, you guys are gone, uh, head back to Persia, see ya. He said, do it right. They had a new start and the nation was restored. Here's the last point. How do you respond to injustice shown to others? How is what's happening in Ukraine affecting you? Well, I just stopped watching the news. Well, I don't really think about it. I, I want to just say, that, say it like this. It should be affecting you. Now, how? That's between you and the Lord. But if people are being hurt, if people are, being, um, are losing generations of uh, you know, their generational house, their, their legacy, their future, their, their kids, their families, their, right? Kids are going to grow up scarred from this. That's not fair to them, no matter what your beliefs are, of politics are. So this has got to grab our attention as an injustice that's happening in our world right now. And then what do we do with that? The Nehemiah thing, we pray and we take action as appropriate. Now, I want you to notice something about what Nehemiah did. He heard all these complaints. The injustice flooded into his inbox, right? And then he, it says, I sought counsel with myself. So I think what he did was he knew, if I just go take care of this, I'm going to just destroy people. So he's, he's like, okay, injustices, they're doing it wrong. Let me just sit on this for a minute. Then he went and took action. And I love how he didn't act in anger. He was angry, it says. But then when he brought the charges, he said, here's what you're doing wrong. And the people received it and repented. So there's a great uh, proverb um, that says, Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow in anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. That is awesome. So the question for us is, we have been given influence. What are we doing with it? So this one is a little bit complicated because it's on the other side of the world. How can you bring about some change, some influence, some maybe on social media you can share some articles that you found that are helpful. Maybe you can say, hey, I've been praying about this. Will you join me in praying about this? Maybe you could say, hey, I'm trying to support some orphans or a family that's resettling. Um, I, I heard from Leanne Carter, who's visited here a couple times. She lives in Vienna, and they're hosting a family from Ukraine right now, helping them get resettled. Over the next few weeks, we're going to hear a whole bunch of these. In fact, maybe Tuesday, Annie, we could put a Ukraine spotlight out where we'll show you some partners that we have, some people you could pray for, some people you could learn from. So we can, we can use our influence for good, not just about Ukraine. How do you use your influence for good here? Now, I've, I've noticed my wife get this burr in her saddle for foster kids. I've noticed some of you the same thing, like, hey, the way this kid is treated, the way this population is treated, the way this process is handled is not right. I'm going to make a change. And, and I've seen some of you just jump into the deep end and help. And God's blessed it. And it's hard. And it's beautiful. I've noticed with action... 
uh, giving seniors dignity when they are in need, when they're in crisis. Uh, through COVID, there, there was a whole bunch of people from Action visiting seniors to make sure they're okay, doing shopping and saying hi when they're isolated and lonely and can't get out and do stuff. How are we using our influence and whatever God's given us to give somebody else dignity rather than just ourselves? It's like, it's, it's like a wasted resource if I give myself dignity. That's weird. But if I'm helping other people to be raised up for him, that, that's beautiful. Amen? So here's another thing. Think about what you buy and who you buy from. And I'm not just talking about fair trade coffee. That's a thing. But think about what what stores do you go to and which ones do you want to keep around? And can you buy it cheaper on Amazon? Probably. Um, I like Amazon. I'm not against that. But let's think about where do we spend and why? Who do we tip and why? How much do we tip? I'm a better tipper now than I was before COVID. I am. Um, who is in our life that we can bless when we have an opportunity? There are a couple times when I had an opportunity to give somebody money and I didn't do it, and then later on I regretted it. And I was like, shoot. But I, I want to have that my antenna up where I'm like, Lord, how do you want to bless somebody through me? How do you want to use my influence for your glory? And how do we treat people with respect, especially if others don't? There are certain populations of people that don't want to make eye contact with you. And, and there are times when, and I haven't gotten creepy with it, but there are times when at the grocery store, I like, I'll grab somebody's attention and I'm like, how are you? And this person's not really used to that. And they're like, I'm, I'm good, you know. But treating people with respect and dignity and, and helping them raise up in their own eyes and in the eyes of others. I believe there's a direct correlation between how you treat others and the spiritual impact of your life. So if you give $15 million to godly causes around the planet, but you treat people like you know what, your life will have less impact. That's just a truth. So the way that we treat others shows the heart of God and the work of God in and through us. So the second half of Nehemiah, we're not going to read it, But the whole second half is Nehemiah saying, so I practice what I preach. Here's what I did. And he said, I'm not like the previous governors who taxed the people and made it hard on them. I didn't look out for myself. And I did everything I did for you, God, and for your people. So if you want to know more about Nehemiah, read the second half of chapter 5. And it reminds me of Philippians 2 of Jesus emptying himself for us, giving up his rights. Giving up his um, giving up uh, his privileges to serve us, and that's a lot of what Nehemiah did in, in a smaller role. Amen. So, um, who are you in the story? I want to ask the band to come on up. Think about the story that we've just talked about. You've got Nehemiah, who has been given the responsibility of leading people in a difficult job, right? people who evidently are not getting along. Then we have the nobles who have been not following God's word and have been giving, uh, making it tough on their brothers and sisters even though they're one family. And then we have the people who have been mistreated and feeling like, ooh, well, how, how could somebody who claims to love God treat me like this? 
So think about those three, those three pockets. Maybe you're like those people and you're like, man, I feel mistreated by life. I feel mistreated by Christians. I, I just feel like, man, I have got the short end of this deal. This is not fair. Bring that to the Lord this morning. He knows. There are no secrets with God. He knows how you feel. He knows how you complain. He knows how you pray. He knows how you don't pray. He knows that you feel cheated. He knows that you feel, you know, like this is lacking. This is not fair. Bring it to him. Now, maybe you're in the place of the nobles and you have an opportunity to bless others and you've been holding back. Maybe you're underpaying your staff so the bottom line looks better or so the board likes you more or something. Maybe you've been stingy and you have not been giving and, and not been stewarding the resources God's given you for his glory, and you've been afraid, cautious, um, planning for the future more than living for what he wants to do now. And maybe, maybe you have been uh, hurting somebody else, and the Lord is showing you, stop it. Make amends. Make that right. Or maybe you're Nehemiah, and, and God's given you the ability to lead people and to, to go after some injustices. And you need wisdom, and you're like, man, this makes me angry, and I'm not sure what to do about it. I, I know that God's given me influence, but how do, I, how do I even take those steps? And ask the Lord for his help with that. And if, if you feel like that's you, come and seek out one of us as leaders. We would love to help you get unlocked, unstuck, so that, so that you can go after this passion that God's developing in you. Amen? Amen. So as the band starts to pray, I just, I just want to pray for you. And Lord, I ask that you would speak to each of us where we are in our relationship with you. And Lord, if we felt cheated by life, we bring that to you. And, and Lord, may we never blame you for that, but may we, may we seek you in that. And Lord, help us to understand uh, how to see those around us, even those that we feel cheated by. Help us to forgive. Uh, Lord, help us to not be poisoned by that past experience. Uh, and Lord, I ask that you'd bring freedom for some of us who feel trapped and feel mistreated in the room. And Lord, if some of us have been mistreating others or uh, tolerating sin in our own lives, uh, maybe we've been hoarding money rather than stewarding it for you. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would show in your grace and in your mercy and in your truth what our next step is. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. Help us to move forward in freedom. Use all that we have for your glory. And Lord, help all of us in this room to be more like Nehemiah when we face injustice. May we pray first. May we slow down the anger a little bit and then figure out, Lord, how do we use our influence to raise up others and, and Lord, to, uh, to propel your glory on, on, in this world? Help us, Lord, to be more about your reputation than ours. And use our lives, Lord, to build up others and to build your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.